Hi there, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Fuel Your Phantom Podcast. My name is Saint. And I'm Jim. And we want to welcome you back. And it's actually kind of cool. This is going to be the first episode of Season 4 where we have an outside guest. We haven't had that in a while. Ooh! Uh, it's been... Uh, fancy times. It, fancy, whatever. It's just been a scheduling nightmare to get anybody involved in this. It's bad enough trying to get Jim on the phone, for God's sakes. I mean, he is just all over the map traveling and whatnot. And, and uh, so it's been, it's been a unique uh, situation trying to get some guests booked for this. But uh, we have an awesome guest today, if I do say so myself. Uh, Jim, I'm going to let you go ahead and introduce... You, you introduced us, so I'm going to introduce you introduce him to the show. And uh, let's well, bring him on. One of the, the tenets we operate under is that everything is fandom and fandom is everything. Ah, ah, he said it! He said it! It's, right. uh, pop culture is such a great thing. And uh, you and I have been big, big fans of stand-up uh, comedy for a very long time. I mean, Absolutely. not liking stand-up comedy, it's like, oh, I don't like puppies and sunshine. You know, stand-up comedy. It's the, the <laughs> whole idea of it is, here's a person who's, who's a funny person, and they just want to entertain you and make you laugh. And I love stand-up comedy. And uh, I would never say that I've done stand-up comedy, especially within earshot of our guest, who, uh, who's forgotten more about it than I'll ever know. True, true. But I used to, a little bit here and there in some of the cities I've lived in, done some open mic stand-up, um, which uh, I kind of treat like karaoke. I get up there and pretend to be a big deal for five minutes. Um, <laughs> but in doing so, I've met a lot of great people who have uh, really dedicated themselves more to it, taken it more seriously. And kind of as you travel up the chain, you wind up sort of meeting people who uh, actually do the stand-up thing. On They're so good at it that they're able to do it on a level where uh, they're, they're, they're a full-time touring stand-up comic, which is just incredible, amazing, and unbelievable. And right. uh, one of my longtime friends is our guest today, and he is a, uh, a fantastic stand-up comedian who, even if I, I didn't know this guy, uh, he's, he's, he's still hilarious, one of my favorites. And so our guest today on the podcast is a gentleman named Kermit Apio, and we are so, so thrilled to be able to have him to talk to him today. I was not good at being single. Hard to meet women when your pickup line includes an apology and a Star Wars. Quote. <laughs> What's up, Kermit? Thank you. Thank you so much for having me on. I appreciate it. And you know, when you're having trouble booking guests, uh, the lesson here is that there are some of us that are readily available <laughs> and not busy. <laughs> well, unfortunately, Which, I with, mean, with COVID, stand-up had kind of come to a crawl for a long time for a lot of people. And and uh, I'm, I'm glad to see that that's not necessarily the case anymore. I'm, I'm glad to see people opening up stages and and getting out there again, because like you said, stand-up is really formative for both of us, so. Yeah. Yeah, and, and for and, and think about, uh, we because we really like what we do. We, yeah. we enjoy it. It's a, it's a fun job to be able to do, so um, we missed it a lot. When it wasn't happening, it, it was one thing, you know, you're missing your income, you're missing your, your quote-unquote job, yeah. but on top of that, you really are losing something that you really truly enjoy, and uh, and uh, and you know, and 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 the wife and kids get a little sick of the jokes too, <laughs> you know, because they're the only audience for sixteen months. <laughs> I mean, like, nobody. I think uh, it's safe to say nobody gets into uh, nobody gets into stand up for the fat Benjamins. But if you're somebody who actually winds up being able to rise to the level of being good enough at it that you can head out on the road like uh, like like our friend Kermit here, then it does become something that that uh, can can help uh, you know your career and your life, but you do it because you love it. I mean, Kevin and I are both in bands 
And uh, we're not going to be quitting our day jobs anytime soon <laughs> to be able to dedicate ourselves full time oh, to music. But if, if you do, it's but yeah, you do what you love because you love to do it. And um, you know, especially when you're when you're you, Kermit, it's it's a it's so obvious to to watch you on stage or watch your special or watch your YouTube clips, and it's 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 patently obvious that um, that you're loving every minute of it because uh, it just it really comes through. Um, to see somebody who's who's at the top of their game and who is uh, you know just really enjoying what they do, it's 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 nobody wants to go see a comic who's up there because they don't want to be, or a band <laughs> who's up there watching the, the 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 TV at the back of the bar just to check the score on the game. So, being able to see somebody right. who's great at what they do and, and love what they do and be a, uh, just practice their craft is a it's a wonderful beautiful thing and it's the essence of fandom for us. I, I appreciate that and and you know it is. Something I think that for for the most part, most of us truly appreciate. And mm-hmm. uh, I mean, first of all, the hours are good. Yeah, right. You know, you know, it's it's mostly PM, uh, and uh, and so yeah, it's a really easy job to appreciate. But it certainly is one of those things where it's very special, and I'm very lucky to be able to do it. And you know, when I first was considering quitting my day job a long, long time ago. Uh, I talked to my mom, and her her opinion was really important to me, and I couldn't believe it because I come from a very very blue collar family, and my mom said, um, and my mom has worked since before I was born. You know, she's always been always been working, and and she kind of gave me her blessing, and I was really surprised. And she said, you know, I've never seen you try hard at something, and it's a weird thing to hear from your mom. Like, <laughs> it's like a backhanded compliment. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. It's I don't even think it was a compliment. I really think it was like <laughs> but she was absolutely right. I had never enjoyed something or tried hard at something the way I did at comedy. I used to skate through everything, just kind of do do the minimal for everything. Girl in, in same. My life and, and yeah, and so and so comedy comes along and I actually was trying hard at it where I was working at at, at the airport in Seattle and I would I would go do the open mic and then at 9.30, leave the open mic and be at the airport at 10 o'clock to work overnight. Ooh. And so, uh, yeah, so I was, I was doing anything I could to get stage time. And, and it, was a, it was a crazy time. It was a fun time. But, but it really was the first thing I truly gave any effort at. And, and there's a reason for it. I absolutely love it. Yeah, they talk about. Yeah, definitely comes I do through. that with the with as a musician too. It's like they talk, and I don't. I want to find who said this and beat them upside the head. The guy who says, uh, uh, "Do what you love, and you'll never work a day in your life." Find something you like to do, do it every day, and you will never work a day in your life. I love being <laughs> a musician. I absolutely love it, but I work every damn day of my life. So, and just to be able to be a musician, so. It's kind of right. the and I had a gig on Friday, and I, I, I'm what you're hearing now. This sort of like uh, cigarettes and scotch kind of voice that I'm rocking on the mic at the moment <laughs> is because I had a gig two days ago, and this is after um, both liquid and pill form mucinex, a giant cup of throat coat tea with lemon and honey, and uh, a little bit of albuterol, trying to beat back the swelling in my throat. So <laughs> you do it because you love it, and sometimes it kicks your ass a little bit, but um, uh, at the same time, I mean, everybody. Whereas, like you said, you know, do do what you love and, and you never work a day in your life. I sort of like, I, I, I believe that to a degree, but, you know, it, it does kind of come back to haunt you once in a while. But the thing that I kind of stick to is that, you know, every kid is a creative kid. And until the, the world takes their crayons away and says you got to put on a suit and sell insurance, um, you know, we all as kids, we want to be singers and actors and dancers and astronauts and athletes and all that. And, and um, 
you know, when you find what it is that you're supposed to do, when you, when you sort of find your lane and your channel, um, you know, and you, you, you push at it and you're successful at it and you're great at it, then that can always be, uh, hopefully, hopefully if you're a kid who's a creative kid, and I, I, I definitely was, and I, I've worked in creative fields my entire life, so, um, you know, it's great to see um, when, when people have a passion, when they have a thing, when they have something that they're really dedicated to and good at, that uh, they're able to uh, to really grab that ball and run with it the way that Kermit has. Yeah, for sure. Now we usually like to uh, introduce the topic eventually. We like to we like to stumble through some things that we've uh, observed or, or, or seen over the course of the week before uh, pop we jump culture into detritus. The so, and I had a couple of things specifically regarding um, stand up comedy. Now I've been listening to a lot of. Uh, I, I drive a lot for a living. I, I work for the railroad. I drive the railroad crews around. And so that's what I do. I drive all the time. And so I have a lot of time to sit and listen to like Spotify and listen to uh, all the stand-up comedy channels on Spotify. And I've had a couple of observations that I don't know if that just hits me or if it's something that would be uh, something either of you have noticed, but... Uh, I wanted to kind of. Run but as long as we here. actually have a real live comic here, we're going to put you on the spot as a token to speak for your entire community. So, yes. you know, get ready for that. No, you don't have to speak for the entire community, but it will be interesting to get the inside perspective on it. But yeah, uh, one of the first things that I came up with was uh, now, Kermit. Have you have you released uh, an album, a studio album, a, a comedy album? I do. I do have okay. an album, and so. Uh, one of the things that I've noticed on uh, a lot of, because I just use it on a shuffle. It's a it's a broad playlist of, of all these different stand up comics, and every now and again it'll come across the intro track. Do you know what I'm talking about? The intro track. It's like, please welcome to the stage, Kermit Apio, and it's like clapping and everyone, hey, how's it going, everybody? And then it cuts off, and so the entire track you just it was like a minute and a half of introduction and hey, how's it and going? Applause. And applause. And then it cuts off. It's like I, I feel like for a medium like Spotify, something like that is just kind of unnecessary. I don't know. Uh, what do you think about intro tracks on comedy albums? Huh. I, you know, me personally, I didn't have one. I, I, I think I think it's just it's I have like a, a sketch track that starts the album and then it's just me starting talking during stand up. I personally, I didn't want that in there. Um because I, I just feel like the first applause, especially if they don't know who you right. are, the first applause is the one they're supposed to do. The obligatory. Right. Yeah. So I, I, I wanted the ending applause because that's the one you earn. Right. No, that's a, that's a very fair assessment. Yeah. And, 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 and to go with that as well, um, there was, uh, I'm trying to think. When a comedian uh, is introduced to the stage, it's usually someone else doing the introduction. Am I right? I mean, in your experience? Or, yeah. Okay. I've had a couple of instances where I've listened to on Spotify, and I've heard the comedian introducing <laughs> themselves from off stage, and then, hey, how's it going, everybody? It's like, uh, and in particular, uh, the last one I heard, and I wrote down the name just because I wanted to make sure that I addressed it, was it was on a Jim Brewer album. And... Uh, because right. he has a very distinctive voice. If, you, if right. you've ever paid attention to Saturday Night Live or if you've ever listened to any of his stand-up or watched any of his movies, he's got a very particular kind of voice. And so when he's introducing himself from off stage, it's very, very evident 
Hey, please welcome to the stage, uh, star of Saturday Night Live, and uh, you know him from this movie, and you know him from this movie. Welcome, Jim Brewer. And it's like he walks out on the stage, and it's like, bro, don't pretend that wasn't you just holding that microphone. It's awkward. It's really awkward. Is anyone? I mean, is it just? Yeah, me? I agree. I would never. I would never introduce myself. That's just. Yeah, it would be very. Well, I mean, it's, it's one of those tough things because I mean, um, not that I'm gonna. Uh, uh, because again, you've forgotten more about this stuff than I'll ever know. I'm not going to explain this to you because you understand it. But I mean, if if, if people who are listening to this aren't really as plugged into the world of stand up, um, I, I have quite a few friends who, who who sort of do comedy, and it's you you when you're booking gigs, a lot of the time, and this just happened to me when I had my show with my band on Friday. You get there, and they might have told you things about the setup that didn't turn out to be true. So you get there, and it's like, oh, I'm. I'm performing on a pallet with a curtain behind me in the corner of a, a warehouse or you know this is a a club gig so like it's i'm, I'm at a, a zany's or an improv or something so i kind of there's gonna be a green room and there's gonna be some refreshments but i also uh like i'm performing at a community center now so as a performer i mean you get to a certain stage in your career where you're not taking every gig but there if somebody offers you a gig you kind of got to look at it and weigh you know uh, uh, how badly do i want to do this gig or you know do i need to fill out my schedule versus uh, nobody's going to be paying attention. I'm going to be talking through a, a set of 10-watt Chevy speakers uh, in a gas station. <laughs> so not knowing really what the situation or the setup is going to be at a venue, whether or not somebody's going to be able to be there to introduce you, or whether you're at a legitimate comedy club or, or you're hired for a private gig and doing something that's an environment you wouldn't ordinarily do. I imagine a lot of that comes into play heavily when you're sort of deciding where you want to book yourself. Um, yeah, I mean, that's that, that kind of stuff. But it... it it it's sort of like last night I did a, a really nice gig in a nice theater and the the booker said, Okay, so when we're ready to start, he said to the MC, just go up and go up and start talking and and I said, No, I go you guys want me to do you have a second mic back here? I'll do a voice of God mic intro. Sure. And it makes a huge difference in the show, but people just don't realize or it's not, you know, like you said, gigs vary and some yeah. don't have it. But I will always offer, I've actually, when they didn't have a second mic, I've actually gone up and, and welcomed everybody and said, you know, hi, I'm Kermit Apio. I'll be your headliner later, but, you know, just want to make some announcements and welcome you to the show. And that, getting people to finish their conversations and focus before that first comic comes up, it mm -hmm. makes a huge difference, yeah, for sure. right? And, yeah. it, and it, it should be somebody else. I, and, and so, like I said, even last night in a really nice theater gig, um, there wasn't a setup to introduce the host, so I just did a voice of God thing, and and uh, and yeah, it's 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 such a simple. There's all there's eight million details in comedy that it it makes us sound like divas, right? Like when I do corporate <laughs> events, occasionally they'll say they'll say, uh, okay, we'll have you on during dinner, and I'll tell them like, okay, but I want to let you know that's not going to work. Yeah, like no, it's going to be great, you know, and I'll say. I say people don't laugh while they're eating. They right. they just keep chewing and and they're enjoying it, but they're not making an audible sound. Well, those audible sounds are part of comedy. They need to be there to make comedy sound like it's working. Yeah. And and there's there's always or there's a lot of times where people will will understand and there's a lot of times where people will say, "No, we kind of we have a schedule. We kind of want it this way." And I'll tell them, "Look, you saw my special or you saw me live, you know what I can do. So you know from hiring me that I can do this." And understand that while I'm up there, I'm going to be trying my best. But but you will think about what I'm telling you right now. Yeah. Like yeah, it. And then it. It's so the um, those eight million details, those, those those little things that make comedy work. In in and 
you know, and, and introductions are one of those things as well. Like, and and everything varies. Every gig is different. There and all the details. So, after after uh, some years in, you kind of get you get good at asking the right questions, trying to figure out what the gig's going to be, because because you walked into everything. Right, you've seen it all. You've done it all, and you yeah. you actually brought up a really good point. And you brought up one of the things that uh, it was another one of my observations that. Uh, uh, you you say that the sound of laughter, the actual laughing itself, is so key and so necessary uh, for what you do to show that what that you do is live audience effect. feedback. Right. Uh, what do you feel about comedy albums that don't have that laughter? That they're just all studio. And I mean, because I was listening to one in particular. This was a Harland Williams album, and there was no laughter. It was all it was all like soundstage. And wow. yeah, it was so empty. It felt so hollow. It was really bizarre not having that laughter in the background. Um, was it so, so was it like sketch type stuff? Cause in sketch albums, often you don't use no, an audience. No, was it he was just doing like stand up. It was stand up. It was straight up stand up without an audience. Well, maybe it's one of those things that kind of came as an offshoot of uh, of COVID. If, if if your live performance schedule dries up and you have an album you want to release, then and, and you have your your uh, your hour material for the the period of time you've worked on it, then you're going to go and, and and record that on your own. But yeah, that does seem a little bit odd. Like I remember years and years ago, one of the first um, stand up comics I became aware of as a kid was George Carlin, oh, and yeah. I used to love his albums, his, his uh, Place for My Stuff album. And he had a couple of other records, but he would do, there'd be sections of maybe a five or six minute long um, piece of theme material. And then there would be maybe a, a, a sketch or a skit with some sound effects and some production quality. And then he'd go back into live stuff. But I mean, yeah, that's, that's odd. I wouldn't, not that I want to ding Harlan. He's fantastic. But, you know, to, to be able to, to do an album, because I mean, I, you know, being in a band like you and I are uh, versus being a stand up like Kermit is, I mean, it's, it's analogous in, in the sense that like, you, you still need to, to feel that feedback loop of, of audience participation in order to understand that, you know, this joke works or that song went over well or whatever it is. So to be able to do that in a vacuum seems a little bit kind of, I wouldn't be able to do it. Well, you know, years ago, Seinfeld, uh, I think Bob Costas was interviewing Seinfeld, and he asked Seinfeld, do you practice in front of a mirror? And Seinfeld said, no, if, you, if, you're, like, if you're like Jim Carrey or somebody who does something where you kind of have to see what it looks like. Yeah. You do that, he said. But, but, but for just a just a stand-up who mostly just talks, the it's a conversation more than a performance, right? And their reaction is the is their response in that conversation. So if I'm doing a bit and it's just they're not as into it, then I know, okay, don't do those last two or three tags. Just do the punchline and just move on to the next thing. Or Man, they're really on this bit. So let's do all the tags, or let's do the the other punchline for this. You know, it helps you build the show. Yeah. So that so it, and I, ever since he he said that interview, I thought he's absolutely right. It's it's less of a performance and more of a conversation. Now now, like he said, unless you're doing like Jim Carrey or you're an impressionist, there are certain things you do have to kind of practice, you know, and get the sight and sound of it correct. Right. But for most of us. It really is about, I say this, you react, oh, okay, so this doesn't work. Or, oh, this does work. And, and it builds from there. So, yeah, I can't, I can't see doing a stand-up album without the audience. It's, it's just such a part of the conversation. 
And insecure and broke is one thing. Insecure, broke, and single, that's the frosting on the loser cake. I did this one time, this is true, when I was single. I'm in the bank, I'm doing the transaction. I ask the teller out. And then I realize I just asked someone out who's looking at a computer view of my financial situation. <laughs> There is nothing you can say at that very moment. Just, I've got other accounts. There's one I keep negative. Every comic I know who works on, who works on jokes, they, they obviously will write jokes and they'll work on, you know, I have a germ of an idea and I'm going to flesh that out into, into some material that I think will go over well. But, you know, until you do it in front of an audience, they either laugh or don't. I mean, maybe it's it's my job to be funny professionally, but sometimes something needs a little bit more work, or tonally it's off, or whatever. And a lot of it also has to do with 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 uh, sort of the psychological mob mentality, because I mean, I have seen uh, friends of mine who do stand up, and I'll, I'll watch them at one show, and something doesn't go over, but at the next show, you know, it's uh, because laughter is such a contagious thing. If a couple people start laughing, then everybody else realizes that maybe that was funnier than they realized. But it it really again, is one of those things that I imagine depends on environment and depends on just workshopping things, both with your own writing process and also just kind of trying to test, run new, new stuff in front of an audience and see if it goes over or not. And, and to the counterpoint of that, now, uh, one of the last ones I wanted to bring up uh, observationally is that uh, with stand-up comedy, you also have the people that laugh just a little bit too hard, a little bit too <laughs> loud. Uh, and I know there's a lot of alcohol fueling these comedy audiences. Trust me, I've been in enough of them to know that. But to the point where it's like almost heckling, even though they're not heckling, you know what I'm talking about? They're just, they're so loud it pulls you out of it. I mean, do you have that um, a lot or do you have experience with that? Yeah, I mean, it, those do happen for the most part. If it's their laugh, I leave it alone or I try to leave it alone. I mean, there are times where it's so, it's so, it goes beyond everybody else's laugh and you have to kind of acknowledge it. But I'll do it in the most encouraging way because I don't ever want to discourage someone from laughing. Right. Like I'll, I'll, I'll say, I'll stop and I'll, and I'll kind of, I'll say to the rest of the audience, like, if the rest of you laughed like this person, uh, three jokes, I'd be done. You guys should really learn something here. So I like to be encouraging because I don't ever want to discourage someone from laughing. I don't like to make fun of their laugh. But now I will say this. When people scream woo, that's not <laughs> laughter. Woo! That is, a, that is a, yeah. you're, you're making an action so everybody hears that's you. That's like screaming Freebird right? at a concert. Yes, yes. And it's, it's, they think, oh, they think, oh, I'm doing more than laughing. This comic, I'm going woo. Well, I appreciate it. I appreciate your... But that's more about you than me. That's more about you trying to get your voice heard. Um, woo isn't a laugh. If you're sitting at dinner with someone and they make a joke, you're never going to go, woo. You're not. Yeah. And, and, so, and so to me, that kind of thing, those reactions are dishonest. But when someone has like a, a laugh that goes on a long time or, or a cackle, you know, it's like you said, something that absolutely stands right. out. Now, if you're recording an album... Those are a mess. I I had um, I recorded four shows at this club to um, to do my album, and one of the best sets of those four shows had one woman who had a cackle, and I couldn't have it in there. It was just too it was too distracting. You'd be listening to the CD and 
you'd hear that, and it would be like, oh, listen to that woman cackle. And I didn't want that. I, I, I didn't want the focus being drawn off. So it was an audio nightmare, and I, re, I remixed my own, and it was a nightmare trying to get. And there was somewhere I just, I can't use that version of the joke. i got to use another show, even though that version. It was the one that killed. I may have done yeah. it the best, or the audience reaction was the best. Oh. Um, so, yeah, so if you're recording an album, yeah, but for the most part, if people have these weird laughs and everything, I, I'm fine because it just means they're having a good time. Unless it's a type of thing where it's it's not their actual laugh, it's them trying to stand out in a room. Right. Uh-huh. You know, I was going to say, I want to say it was a Baron Vaughn album that I was listening to that uh, I'm not sure if you're familiar with Baron Vaughn, uh, but uh, there was this one woman that was just the entire album it is just cackling maniacally the entire time and it's like i don't know lady maybe dial it back a little bit i mean it's cool that you appreciate it but damn nobody yeah. can get a laugh in edgewise you know and then i'm just minding my own business walking by i hear a loud noise and i'm gonna check it out and as i'm on the ocular path to the noise boom catch eye contact and to them it's like bing, 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 bing. connection established time to upload Yeah, and, and that's the other thing too is that so if you use the cackling in your in your set, and then you use another show's joke uh, for for you know if you use another, then it sounds like she's not enjoying herself. Oh my god! I didn't think right? Of that. If you if they hear her cackling, but then you're not using her in every take uh, that you put on the album, then it sounds like oh that woman she only laughed like three times the whole show, right? <laughs> I never thought of that. And then so it becomes it becomes a very difficult thing because. Yeah, and these are all things I had to think about because of this one woman. <laughs> she lived in my head the whole time I was mixing that album. Well, <laughs> speak, that, that kind of leads to the, the next thing that I thought would be a fun thing to talk about, that just crowd participation. Um, everybody has a different way of dealing with hecklers, and it's you know, we mentioned passing a minute ago. I, I don't understand the psychology of it. Like, if I go to see a band, I cheer, I whistle, I applaud, I, I register my appreciation – but there's some kind of psychological component of the, the stand-up audience member when they go to see a show that, whether it's alcohol or whether it's hubris, I'm funnier than the person on stage, and I'm going to loudly crack jokes in between their jokes or call attention to things I either liked or didn't like about their jokes. So everybody that I know who's, who's a performer has a different way of dealing with hecklers. What's, what's Kermit's process about figuring out how to, how to parse those obnoxious jerk-offs in the audience who ought to be part of the show? <laughs> Well, it's a tricky one for me because what I've learned is that, um, so so my show is very self-deprecating and and pretty honest about my feelings about myself, you know, <laughs> and um, so there's a lot of insecurities and self-deprecation. So and, and that's how I knew we'd get along. So if I'm <laughs> right, <laughs> so if I'm if I'm doing something and someone is 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 the 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 kind of heckler that's trying to disrupt the show that's trying to yeah um trying to you know uh, trying to be a disruption um i cannot be mean i can't just hurl insults even though i'm thinking of a million of them right oh, i'm sure because i've noticed that when i do that then i go back into the self-deprecation and it doesn't work as well because they're like well you were just hammering that guy you you were just you know you, you're you're a better insult comedian than this crap you're giving us now you know and <laughs> And so I, I've noticed that I, I've had to figure out a way to do it within character, which I think I think every comic who who is working has to figure out their character. You yeah. have to be consistent. Once you leave your character, you're kind of done because then they'll just listen to every joke on its own. And the and suspension of disbelief is they, gone. 
Right. They won't they won't listen to the person. The yeah. person has to be consistent. So it took me years to learn that. Um so I have to I have to figure out a way and, and also I won't I won't really use anything prepared because that's that can often sound forced too. So um my strategy is basically to bring them from the uh obnoxious disrupting person to kind of a kind of who they are. So I'll ask, and I, first of all, I ignore, I ignore it for a while. I ignore it until I start seeing people start turning their heads and looking at them, because then, then they're interrupting the whole audience. Then now they're 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 annoying people. Dude. So I'll kind of ignore it. I'll hope the club deals with it. Some clubs do. Some clubs have people come and talk to them, um, especially when I'm there because of what I just explained to you. Some clubs don't. Right. So if I have to absolutely deal with it, what I'll first do is ask them their name and and just go from there. Because when you're yelling and you're screaming and you're saying you're trying to say wise ass remarks, when I ask you your name, we're now having a pretty personal level conversation. Right. Yeah, and and we go from there. And what they don't realize is that is that my character is insecure and is is sort of uh, self deprecating, but that means passive aggressiveness can play, right? Because someone who is insecure is going to be a bit passive aggressive, right? Bit, we're not yeah. Gonna, yeah, we're not gonna we're not gonna go after anybody, but well, you know, we'll say what we need to say, you know. You know? Yeah. So, and so there's ways that I've learned to do it, but it took me years to figure it out. I, I always figured like, man, I thought I did well with that heckler. The audience was cheering, and then the rest of the show was just okay. And I kept thinking, oh, the heckler ruined the show. Yeah. And it took me a while to figure out. No, I ruined the show by not being my character. I, I got mad. I insulted, and that made me different. Than what I was, what my jokes are. Well, and so, as an audience member, that bothers me too because I mean, I go to see comedy and I feel first and foremost bad for the the performer who has, you know, I have an act. I've worked on this. I'm not just coming up here and freestyling shit. I have things that are that that I've road tested that I've I've proven are funny in front of other audiences and you, and I I'm I have a job to do. I'm I'm up here entertaining you and making you laugh. And then there's one jackass who wants to make snotty comments. Yeah. And it's not only horrible for the performer, but everybody else that's just there to participate in the experience that's there in good faith. I bought a ticket, I'm in a club, I'm watching somebody that, that I want to make me laugh, and this jackhole over here is just interjecting all kinds of nonsense, and that person then becomes the focus. The audience is trying to have an experience, you're trying to deliver performance, and there's this one guy who's just over there throwing hands full of sand into the gears. Right. Yeah, and, and I, I had a guy, so you can you can kind of turn it, because because you're right, the rest of the audience, for the most part, is there to see comedy. They're yeah. not there to see this exchange with this person. <laughs> And I had a guy one time, um, you know, he, he, I, I kind of razzed him a couple times and we were talking, stayed within character, but then he said something like, uh, he said something like, well, <clears throat> you know, because I, I said, no, all the, there's all these people here and they kind of, I've enjoyed talking to you, but there's all these people here and they kind of, they kind of came to see the show. And, and, uh, and the guy goes, well, you're not funny. And the okay. audience and ooh, you know, like, oh. And I said, I said, I agree, I, but you know what? I didn't pay to get in here. You did, <laughs> and and, uh, and and that's and that's sort of that's been a real great strategy for me is the idea that I agree with the hecklers. Look, I'm not, I've never paid to see myself. I, I, I don't, I don't pay to see the show. You know, I agree with you, and and that's that's really disarming because once you tell me I suck and I go, have you not seen my show? I'm literally telling you that through my show i'm telling you <laughs> that i have failures and i mess up and I, and I and i'm embarrassed half the time like yeah that's what i'm telling you and so once i figured that then i can get the rest of the audience rallying then they go yeah you're right you know you know he he has a feeling about himself we paid to see him not yeah. you 
And then that's and then I get them. Then I get the audience. So and then if like I said, if clubs can put some effort into it as well, and it's a team effort. Um, oh, but I will tell you this. So I was at this great club, uh, Comedy Works in Denver, which is an amazing club. It's done. It's they do so many things right. I've always heard that place. Anyways, uh, it's incredible. And and I swear, if you look at their schedule, when it, I have I had I brought home a flyer because it had like john oliver and you know blah 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 blah. and right there is this kermit appeal who's that guy and then <laughs> caroline ray and then yeah it's the funniest flyer because it's like there's one guy there that why is he there but anyway so i get there at the beginning of the week and they go and the the two people who are uh kind of seating people and and sort of the bouncers they came up to me and they go hey what is your you know what is your threshold? When do you want us to get involved? Mm-hmm. Do you do you not want any heckling? Do you want us to let you deal with them, or do you want how where where do you want us to get involved? It's great, they ask, and I was like, I was like, that is there's maybe two clubs in the country yeah. that ask you that. Yeah. So I talked it through. So there was a woman right by the stage, and I'm doing a show, and she starts saying, "Oh my God, that's just like my son." And I and I kind of looked at her. I go, oh, and she and she starts telling this story that was similar to the story I just told, <laughs> and how I reacted the same way her son did. And I'm like, oh, okay, yeah, uh-huh. <laughs> and I'm just listening to the story, right? So I see the bouncer guy walking up, and I sort of with my hand, I sort of you know slightly wave him off, and he stops. It's not malicious. And I nod She's just at him. Telling a story, yeah. Because exactly yeah. because she wasn't being malicious. She wasn't trying to interrupt the show, and so. And so I, I kind of, I went, I went, oh, your, your son, uh, blah, blah, blah. And I said, I said, please tell me your son didn't go into comedy. I, I am really, <laughs> I'm worried for him. And everybody laughed and everything. And, and she said, oh no, he's whatever. And she's like having this conversation with me because I, I sort of hit this personal nerve with her. Right. Yeah. So I go, well, I, I said, I really appreciate it, but I kind of have to go on with, with the show. And she clicked and she goes, oh my God, I'm so sorry. I totally interrupted the show. Right. And. And the whole audience starts laughing. I go, no, 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 no. You were great. I'm so glad you were comfortable to tell me that story. And I think your son's, I think your son's awesome. And blah blah blah. And and so um, she felt. She goes, I'm so sorry. She's like whispering now, but everybody knows. <laughs> everybody's watching her. She goes, I'm so sorry. I go, no, no, no. Don't apologize. And the bouncer was standing like maybe five feet behind her. She didn't even know he was there. <laughs> yeah. And he kind of he kind of nodded at me. I nodded at him, and he walked back. And so. There's some situations where it, it, um, it, it can it can be fine if if, if their intent is right. I yes. knew she wasn't trying to interrupt the show. I knew I just hit a nerve. She wanted to tell me the story about her son, and it was awesome. And but I love that clubs that are involved can say like, "Hey, we'll be there if you need me. Yeah. I will go and talk to someone as soon as they say something." That's, yeah, you know. that seems really and, unique, uh, which is really nice. I mean, shout out to Denver for doing that. I mean. Uh, comedy works. It's a comedy. Comedy works in Denver and Acme in Minneapolis are, are two clubs that do so many things correct. I'm, I just love those two clubs a lot, and I'm honored to be on their roster. Still, it baffles me that I'm on them. I, I love Acme in Minneapolis. One of the few places that was uh, that that had a really good open mic. There were a couple of open mics that I used to go to in Minneapolis back when I thought I could maybe you know try and do a little bit of uh, stand up here and there. There was one called Grumpy's. Uh, that was. Uh, Sounds the, like the I've done the Grumpy's open mic. Oh my God. Comedy club. Why not? Yeah, I've done. I've done the Grumpy's open mic. Yeah. What, what an experience. Oh yeah, because the Grumpy's open mic is fun because the only other audience members are other comics, 
And so yeah. they're all in the back. There's 25 people in there, and they're all on the list to perform. So you got guys in the back of the room who are not listening to you, and they're scribbling their own jokes, and they're refining stuff and trying to figure out what they want to do for their set. And uh, also, if they laugh at you, that's like letting you piss higher on the tree, and we can't have that. So the Grumpy's, uh, the Grumpy's open comedy uh, mic was in Minneapolis was uh, an absolute experience. But like on the concept of having like a persona or a character or like a style of comedy. Now, I'm not going to blow up your spot or anything, but I a lot of your your uh, the stuff that that I've seen you do comes from. You know, life experience of, uh, you know, you, you, you're a family man, you've got a family, um, you were, um, you're a, a Hawaiian native, and so there's a lot of, like, sort of, like, interplay to, of, like, ignorance of, of, of the, the stupid Haoles who don't understand that, hey, uh, Hawaii was a, a subjugated sovereign nation until it became a state, but now it's actually a state, and growing up with, uh, with a unique name, there's just so much great stuff that you've been able to kind of pull from personal experience, but, what is your process when you think to yourself, you know, uh, my stuff is working, but I'm going to throw in some new shit. I'm going to sit down for a couple minutes and, and write some new jokes. What's, what's, is it, is it a process where you actually set aside time to sit down and write jokes or something happens in your life that you go, hey, that could be something I could get a couple minutes out of? How do you develop your material when you really sit down to kind of plan it out? Well, let me say first that the way I do it, I don't recommend to any <laughs> comics. And when comics ask me how you do it, I go, please don't do it my way. It's dumb. Um, I should sit down and have time where I sit down and do it. Um, but basically what I do is I'll think of something that could be something. I'll write it on a note or a note on my phone or whatever, you know, just get, get yeah. some kind of phrase. And then I'll stew over it for months. I will literally just leave it there on my phone and look at it before shows. I'll look at it, you know, and then there'll be a night where I'm on, I'm about to go on stage. I'm looking at my phone. And I go, Oh, I'll try that. And I'll, I'll say this. Because I've noticed that when I'm at a comedy club, that's when I'm most in comedy mind. Yeah. And I shouldn't be that way. I should be able to sit at my desk and just be, but it's hard. So I will not have written anything. It's just a phrase or an idea and possibly one punchline that I thought of for it. Or maybe two if I'm really lucky. I'll go up on stage. I'll do the bit, the one, the two punchlines, somewhere in the middle of the show. And then I'll hopefully come up with a couple more. And then I'll start jotting down those couple more punchlines. And then I'll start. And then, and we're talking months down the road, I will start writing it out and trying to figure out where the joke goes. But the whole thing starts from me rambling on stage for, you know, maybe a minute. And if it doesn't go well, that's fine. I've got material coming up. So it's a really not the best way to do it because it takes, number one, it takes forever to, to build a new bit. And, and number two, it's sort of disconnected. It doesn't. It doesn't start with a crux of a bit and build from there. It literally is okay. Ramble on stage and see what sticks, right? And 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 I have enough experience where I can kind of tell where where the audience you know is and where they're going with it. So I'll go. Oh, I'll try something along this lines, or I'll try something really obnoxious or really silly, or I'll try something more standard. See how that punch goes, you know? And um, and yeah. So and then the other thing you were talking about about everything pertaining to my life, I noticed I can't. I'm too ADD to get interested in something that, or, or to write about something I'm not interested in. Yeah. I can't sit there with a coffee mug and write coffee mug jokes, <laughs> and I admire comics who do. So for me, the only things I really want to write about or care to talk about on stage are things that happen to me that I react to. And and the, the, the sort of benefit that came from that is that there are times where I'll do something and I see people laughing and nodding, and that's huge. Yeah. That's, for me to get people to go... Oh yeah, that happened with me and my wife. Funny know, and, and relatable. 
Right. Or I'll or I'll see I'll see one person uh, elbow their partner, right, okay. and they'll start cracking up to each other, like laughing, you know, looking at each other, and because that happened to them. And I realize I love that. I really yeah. love, you know, I already mentioned once that it's kind of like a dinner conversation. I, that's the feeling I want. I, I want that we're sitting there at dinner and I'm just, we're talking and I'm having conversations with you. Well, I wouldn't talk about the coffee mug with you at dinner. Yeah. I wouldn't tell you about how, how you know, uh, about the handle and everything. I, I would talk to you about my life. I would ask you about your life. And so, so that's where it comes from. But, but yeah, the process of writing for me is dumb. It really is. <laughs> well, you you but say I, it's I just, dumb, I like but I, I, I've come up with a lot of similarities with the way I write my music is, is, is I have the same process. It's really weird, and I know it's going to sound pandering, but it's absolutely not. I come up and I, jo- I have a notes app in my phone as well, and I just jot down a note, like on a feeling or if I'm thinking of, of like, an emotion or a line that I come up with, and I write heavy metal music, so I mean it's it's usually always pretty aggressive and, and pretty growly and, and angry. And uh, on a good day, I I have that readily available to me with the people I have to interact with. But um, I I find myself writing down a little phrase or a line or a a word that maybe sparks my interest, and and like just like you said, I come back to it, and and I hit bounce off of it, and and. Until I have my bandmates come up with a piece of music that I feel like, hey, wait a minute, that slots in for me. I can make that emotion transparent here. That, that, oh my God, I didn't think anyone wrote like that. And I don't know, maybe that's the ADD in me too. It could very well be. I don't know. But that's funny because that, that, that is, that is almost exactly the way I write as well. And for me, it has to be. I've only written one song that doesn't relate to an emotion that I have or a feeling that I have. Um, and it was, I purposely sat down with the purpose. Okay, I write a lot of topical stuff. I write a lot of uh, pseudo-political uh, kind of stuff. I want to try and not do that. we got bands like Pantera and Hell Yeah. They write songs about drinking and partying. Okay, let's write a song about drinking and partying. And that was the hardest song I've ever written. Because I'm not a drinker and a partier. I mean, I do both, but that's not my lifestyle. That's not how I live. It wasn't something uh, uh, native to me. And so it was just extraordinarily difficult to, to parse that out. And uh, I mean, I did it, but I would have to say that's probably my least uh, genuine song, if I have to put a word to it. So, no, that's that's great. That's fantastic. Um yeah, and one of the other things we wanted to talk about too was was just the fact that um, uh, stand up in particular as an art form, and I'm going to go ahead and say it is an art form. And I mean, it is it's an art because form. it's so it's so easy to screw up. And people that are great at it, you can look at them and and, and realize that they have this incredible skill set. But stand up in particular, because it is topical, because it is ever evolving. Um, Kevin and I have done quite a few, we, we've touched on this quite a few times in, in previous episodes of the the classic cancel culture crap oh, yeah. that's going around. And, you know, we did the, an episode called Sparkling Consequences where we talked about, you know, if you want to say something controversial or in the past have said something controversial that later on becomes something people want to rake you over the coals about and you have the perspective and distance to be able to think, you know, maybe that was not something I should have said. But comedy in particular... Uh, there's there's a, an, an attitude for better or for worse, and I agree with this, and I also don't in certain circumstances because it is kind of a moving target, Supreme Court definition of pornography, I know it when I see it kind of thing. 
uh, in terms of crossing lines, but either it's all okay to joke about or none of it's okay to joke about. And so even though like this necessarily isn't your persona or the way that you mine your material, there's a lot of people out there that do some pretty edgy stuff and sometimes if they say something that gets that kind of ooh moment about it or if they get kind of raked over the coals about it later, it it, it kind of comes up and it winds up being a, a big deal or a thing. But then there are other comics, um, like people who are known primarily for roast or somebody like Anthony Jeselnik who does stuff that, or, or like uh, some of the, the stuff that Daniel Tosh used to do a, a couple of years ago, that is deliberately provocative but they seem to be able to get away with it. Uh, and the idea of, like, you know, if it's punching down, it's bullying. If it's punching up, it's satire. Uh, I kind of wanted to just get the perspective of somebody who actually lives in that world about what the attitudes are or where they're going or what. how kind of you feel about about uh, doing material that somebody might point at you and say, hey, dude, that's not cool. Right. Um, well, a lot of this uh, sort of stemmed from stemmed from the colleges. Yeah. And and I know a lot of comics are saying, oh, I don't want to work colleges anymore and, and whatever. Well, good. Don't. Here's the thing. So colleges for a long time ha- ha- allowed certain things and certain behaviors, certain actions, and then they, they sort of have stopped doing it, right? There, there is a lot more um, sensitivities to signs of, of bad behavior and predators and that kind of thing. And, and so... There's a lot more, like, my daughter's in college, so I'm, I, I hear from her that, that they really do try and catch bad behaviors early. Yeah. And, 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 uh, and bullying and, and that kind of thing. That's key to cut so, it off before it becomes a bigger problem. Right, yeah. right. So, so when they have comedy shows, they, they're kind of saying, hey, we look at things, we're trying to look at things a little differently and everything. And so, yeah, so some things are problematic. But here's the thing, this... The cancel culture idea is kind of silly because really nobody, no comedian gets gets canceled for words. Look, yeah. Louis C.K. got canceled for actually horrific actions. Mm-hmm. He did things, mm-hmm. and he's now performing in packed rooms again. So there really isn't a cancel culture. Plus, look at this. The top draws in the arenas right now are Chappelle, who had a major thing where everybody's saying he's getting canceled. He's... He, he there is not since that controversy there hasn't been a ticket of Chappelle's that hasn't been sold every single ticket sells he does arenas right Amy Schumer Chris Rock Kevin Hart yeah these are all comics that do not hide what they're saying yeah they're fine so the point is number one there's always an audience for comedy and num- and number two if you're good enough at comedy you can do it you can you can have an audience now there's going to be times where people take issue and back when i started it didn't matter if you took issue it didn't matter just leave the club idiot we hate you now it does matter because people can get online and they can voice their opinion and that's fine I, I think everybody it's fine. has it, it, because, an opinion mm-hmm. yeah everybody has an opinion and now it gets heard so yeah it's part of comedy but you know what yeah and i and i sort of agree with the thing on, on Chappelle. I thought the trans bit was, I don't think it's that funny. And I, yeah. I'm a huge Chappelle fan, but I didn't like that. I, I didn't think the way he structured the bit. I thought it was kind of, it was, it was low hanging fruit kind of yeah. thing. It's also punching down. Yes. And so I, I didn't like the bit. So I kind of agree with what people were saying. So, and you know what? That's fine. There, there's, there's going to be a consequence if you say something or if you say something a certain way, 
But those consequences, nobody loses their career. It just doesn't happen. Chappelle's still selling out everything. Yeah, it's not right? like back in the day, and, like and Lenny so, Bruce and everyone, Richard Pryor, Lenny right? Bruce going Richard to jail Pryor, yeah. for the shit that they said. Or yeah, George Carlin getting, getting hauled off in my neck of the woods in Milwaukee for doing the seven words bit on stage in the 60s. Yeah. Right. Nobody's getting arrested. So so this idea that we're getting uptight because because there are, there are some opinions about what you said uh, I think it's great. I think I think it's fine to be aware of things. I mean, maybe when maybe when Chappelle writes his next trans joke, he might actually think about how he writes it. You know, yeah. and I'm okay with that. I'm, I'm actually okay with 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 a, a bit of a bit of talking back to stuff, right? And and so this so th- this idea that somehow we as comics are, are are sort of victims. Like, hey, there's some gigs you just shouldn't do. Yeah, just say no. Um, and, and that's the thing. Like for for me. There are some, oh man, there are some cruise ships now that they want a dirty late show. And, and so I can't work them anymore. I can't work those companies because they have the, the regular show and then the dirty late show. And you and don't so, work blue. You, you managed to find a lot yeah. of humor in stuff that isn't edgy, controversial, that's going to make people wince in their seats. Yeah. So, so, so basically I'm too clean for cruise ships, you guys. <laughs> <laughs> like, I'm, I'm <laughs> and how sad is that well so yeah so there's certain so i could easily just start swear and I, and believe me i i could easily swear i'm not i'm not a clean i'm not clean because i'm puritan i'm clean because it makes me work harder yeah um i and i swear in real life and i'm a huge fan of comics who swear so my favorite comics are dirty it you know i so it's not a it's not a like a like a puritan thing with me but but i literally can can make the decision to write a bunch of stuff or Stuff that I've had in my head that I've never written, I could I could write that stuff out and do a late show, or I could just not take the gig, and that's the same thing on the other side of it. If you're too dirty for some, for some gigs, don't go, don't take the gig and then get mad because they canceled right. you, or they fired you, or they told you you did a bad job. Right. If you if you are too dirty for it, turn the gig down. And Ooh, that's, there's and things that's, I can't so say what, anymore. Okay, sure, right. whatever. You could totally say it. I, uh, you, you, you've been to shows and clubs where yeah. guys say whatever they want. You can say what you want. You just can't do it in this gig or that gig. And if you do it on some kind of national stage, if you do it on Netflix, someone might have a problem with it. That's fine. That's that's yeah. the discussion is good. When 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 you when you start talking about like you guys said, when when you start talking about comics getting arrested, then we're having a talk about cancel culture. Right. Yeah. But ultimately. The top draws in comedy right now are not pulling any punches with what they say. Well, I'm glad you said that. I'm glad you brought that up because, I, you know, the fact that I work clean because it makes me work harder, you, to a certain extent, I mean, obviously, you're, you're, you're more than right. It's an easy thing to get a, a laugh with an easy dick joke to, like, you know, pe- something's going to make somebody giggle behind your hand. Oh, that's not something we should say. But that's one of the things I've always loved about comedy as an art form is that it takes all kinds. I mean, just like in music, like Kevin's in a metal band, you know, and there's other bands that do stuff that's maybe more approachable. But um, you could could be Brian Regan or Jim Gaffigan, and you can also be Daniel Tosh or or Anthony Jeselnik, and there's there's a spectrum to this stuff. And that's the nice thing about... There's somebody out... If you're a fan of stand-up, or certain styles of stand-up, there is somebody out there that's doing the stuff that's going to make you laugh. And you can be a fan of that person, you can be a fan of that form, you can be a fan of that persona, and those are the specials you watch, those are the albums you buy, those are the tickets you go and get. So it's that, the, the, the fact that there's such a variety 
within comedy, just like there is any other entertainment form. And you can just really find the things that you like that speak to you that make you laugh is one of the things I've always loved most about it. And I'm, I'm like you. Like, I, I love clean comics, but I also can, you know, I, I, I laugh at the guys who do stuff that maybe pushes the envelope a little bit. But it's, it just really depends on where your sensibilities are, what kind of stuff you find funny. Not everybody is going to love every joke, but if you cut yourself off to being able to, uh, to, to laugh at different things and, and, and different people saying different things, then you're doing yourself and the performers a disservice, I think. Yeah, and, and you know, uh, I've had comics say that, uh, you know, because I do a lot of stuff about, well, not a lot, but I have some stuff about parenthood. Yeah. And I've heard comics say, you know, dirtier comics, say, use clean comics, every comic's talked about their kids. Well, yeah, it's true because it's something important to you. And you don't have kids, so you don't, you don't have kid material. That's fine. But you know what? Everybody, com- every comic has talked about every kind of sex you could possibly have. <laughs> every comic has made every penis joke you could possibly think of. So, so whatever we're doing, whatever, however you're making it relatable, trust me, guy who's been in it a year and a half, everything's <laughs> been talked about. Yeah. Right. Unless, uh, I mean, maybe your Bitcoin joke might be something unique, but everything else has been discussed. I just love right? that. Yeah, like, you can always tell when a comic starts to crack out of like the, uh, the sort of local circuit open mic things. Cause then they start bringing in all that, you know what I think edgy stuff about the airport material. Everybody's got airport. <laughs> That's that to me is like, you can tell when a comic cracks the next level of their career because then they start talking <laughs> about airports. But, um, That's funny you say yeah. that because I will literally be at an airport, think of something, and go, nope, <laughs> do not talk about that. I Everybody has airport you, stuff. Yes, because you think it's funny, and then you realize, no, the audience is going to go, oh, another comic talking about the airport. And and the other thing is, too, I guarantee someone's thought of that joke. Yeah. I guarantee yeah. there's been so many. So, yeah, this thing, this idea that somehow clean comedy talks about the familiar, I promise you, dirty comedy talks about very familiar things. Yeah. And so... Yeah, and, and, and so it's just which way you want to go, how are you willing to go about it? And and like I said earlier, dirty comedy can be done very well. There are some comics I truly enjoy watching because it's all about being funny and finding the unique premise or the yeah. unique way to talk that about it. clever that twist thing. that nobody else has thought of. Because yeah. like you said, yeah. you guarantee you somebody else has thought of the joke, but it's just the way that you express your particular take on it. I mean, of the course, delivery, speaking of like yeah. Yeah, my particular take – uh, plus uh, dirty joke. I mean, that's the entire thrust of something like the aristocrats, where it's not the joke, it's the telling. It's not the punchline as much as it is the person who's who's actually delivering the material, and therein lies the the, the difference in the joke. But sort of like uh, to, to to sort of pivot into a weird tangent, we were talking about how different there's different kinds of comedy and there's different kinds of music too. Before we wrap this up, and we're getting close to the point where I'm I, I'm going to start feeling guilty eating up more Kermit's afternoon here, but I do <laughs> want to talk about when. COVID hit and a lot of the club dates that a lot of you and a lot of other touring comics who really make your bones on the road um, started to dry up because live performance wasn't a thing that existed for a year and a half, almost two years. You did something really interesting that I really, really enjoyed because in addition to being um, just a a fantastic stand-up comic, you also uh, are a traditional Hawaiian slap key guitar player and singer and you do traditional island music, which is... The definition of beautiful, and I mean, if anybody isn't familiar with it, if you've ever heard like uh, Israel Kamika Wo'ole, uh, brother is, he does a lot of that kind of stuff, and there's a guy who is not Hawaiian, but who is kind of like co-opted the culture a little bit, who's, who's Weird Al Yankovic's guitarist, um, and he is, uh, I'm going to think of his name here, we've got to throw in a break, his name Jim. Uh, Jim Schwartz? No, Bermuda Schwartz is the drummer. Jim, we- Jim West? Steve, oh. J- Steve J or Jim West? I don't remember the name I have to take one second to look this up real quick here. Wait, Jim West, he played with Weird Al? Um, I think I think he is Weird Al's guitarist. 
Wow, that's yeah. He plays. Um, he goes by Kimo in in the. In okay, the, so that is a guy I'm thinking because Kimo is the is the Hawaiian word for Jim. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so James West. And he plays slack yeah. key. He plays slack key guitar. I don't think he is of of, uh, of Hawaiian nationality, but he is um, a Hawaiian slack key guitarist. So it's an art form that's out there. But um, I, when you were not able to perform and do comedy, you were doing live streams on Facebook. Um, uh, playing Hawaiian slot key guitar. And if you Google Kermit, and uh, I'm going to spell his name, it's K-E-R-M-E-T-A-P-I-O. If you look at him on, on Google, uh, or if you look at him on, on uh, YouTube, you're going to find comedy as well as music. And, man, I just, it's it's so rare for somebody to have talent and facility and and uh, an amazing ability in one area. But I, I would, you know, looking back on some of the stuff you've done with the music, it's just so beautiful to 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 hear this traditional island music and and the the fact that you had the opportunity to do that is fantastic. So I kind of wanted to give you the floor a little bit to uh, to kind of hold court somewhat on on this this beautiful form of like traditional Hawaiian music that you do. Yeah, thanks. So, so so when I when I first quit my day job to do comedy, I realized my hobby just became my job. I need <laughs> yeah. a new hobby, and so I could strum at that point a few chords at the on guitar, and so I wound up. I was in a, my first week on the road. I was in this really scary motel, and I didn't want to be in it. So I went for a walk, and I saw a pawn shop with a forty dollar guitar, and I thought, all right, I need a new hobby, and I picked up that guitar, and so I would start. I would just take it on the road as a sanity. I, I've never done like musical comedy; they, the two had never meshed. But I, I would just have it on the road with me. And then there was this uh, slack key stuff that I that I had listened to my whole life, but I had never I never done or learned. So I. I started learning it I bought a book and started learning tunings and so then i've been i've been playing occasionally i get a live gig uh playing music and and um and during covid i was just i was just playing my guitar a lot i just you know and i saw a friend of mine just he got on facebook live and just for an hour he doesn't sing but he just played little beautiful little slack and he's an amazing guitarist and i thought oh i'll try that so i asked him how do you do it and and i and so it kind of built from there and this is two years later, and it's every Wednesday night at 6 p.m. Pacific on face on my Facebook page, and it's got this very small but incredibly loyal and fun crowd. Like they all, they all in the comments, they all chat with each other. There's been a drinking game that's <laughs> developed where, if I make a mistake, uh, you drink. If I apologize, which I do a lot in life anyway, I'm a, I'm a huge <laughs> apologizer. But I'll do something in the middle of a song, I'll make a mistake, and go ah sorry, and then I'll keep going. That's a drink. And then if I start a song over, so sometimes I'll start and go, ah, don't have it, and then start again. Or when I, between songs, when I talk, I, t I turn down the reverb and I talk, and then I'll turn it back up. Well, sometimes I'll forget to turn the reverb on, so I'll do the whole intro to the song, start singing, hear my talking voice, and went, ah, shoot, and I have to stop, turn the reverb on, and start again. So there's all these things, and they, they have this little game where they have this little uh, fake, I don't know if it's real, but this is sort of a drinky game, and they'll say it in the comments. Sorry. Oh, sorry. Sorry? Sorry. And then the other thing that's come out that's been really great is that I've been, people will request something, and I'll, and I'll, I'll try and learn it by Wednesday. And... So now, like the last, you know, three, four songs aren't Hawaiian. Like I, I did a Neil Diamond song uh, a couple of weeks ago and, and uh, you know, Jim Croce and James Taylor. I get, I get all these songs. So they're not going to be great because I just learned them, but I'm having a fun time. I'm playing songs I never would have dreamed about playing yeah. a couple of years ago. So it's made me a better musician and um, it really has been a fun thing. And for the first, I don't know how long, I had a tip jar with my, my Venmo and PayPal on the screen. And once I started working at comedy again, I took that off the screen. But during that time where I had the tip jar up there, oh, you guys, 
you can't believe how helpful that was. I mean, it, it was, it, you know, it could be anywhere from a, a hundred to three hundred bucks on a Wednesday, which when I had no income was so huge, yeah. right? Yeah. Back then, I was doing maybe two Zoom shows a month, and Zoom shows didn't pay what live shows paid, and so to have that support and that help, it was so meaningful to me that I was literally learning. I was getting better at music and getting paid to do it. Uh, and then, like I said, when I started doing comedy again, I took the tip jar off. But occasionally someone will still, still throw something in my Venmo. Um, and it's been an amazing thing for me to become a better musician. It's one of those few silver linings. Uh, the first silver lining was to understand that my family uh, can have me run every day and be okay with it. That was that was the, the major silver lining of COVID that I... I, I travel a lot, right? And all of a sudden, I wasn't for your, for almost a year and a half. I wasn't traveling at all, and they still really liked having me around, which that was huge. But the second thing was that um, the music thing developed its own its own thing. And now yeah. this summer, I've got about five or six uh, music gigs in the, in the summer. That's fantastic. Uh, and yeah, it's been it's been great for me. And what I love too. And thanks for mentioning it. I appreciate well, it's, that. I'm a big fan of that. It's just it's it's such a. I remember initially having that. Seriously, so you're going to be like one of the funniest people in the world, and also do this beautiful form of music just as well. It's <laughs> Not irritating, but then I like. I, at all. No, I don't. <laughs> but I, I had that that sort of like moment of like, how dare you? But then I was like, you know, I want I want to see my friends do well and be successful and have you know, uh, incredible amounts of talent. And some of the, when I went, when I realized that was something you did, I went back and looked up some of your older clips um, of like you and your daughter doing like a, a performance together where you're playing the music and she's yeah. doing the traditional dance. And it's just, it's such a cool thing to see that. And, um, you know, you said that she's in college and this was obviously, you know, she was, uh, looked like she was maybe grade school, junior high at the time that you did that. So being able to, to have that is something that you can do with your family too. And to hear you say that, like, I was at a stop uh, after I quit, you know, the, the the day job and was committing myself to entertainment full time, it's interesting to me to hear you say that because, for me, watching you do this, I would have like if somebody had said to me, you know, uh, to ask me about it, I would have thought you probably grew up doing this on the beach, you know, because it, it looked to me like something you had done for a long time because you were something you were so good at yeah, and so second natural. nature to you. So yeah. yeah, so to be able to know that you kind of picked that up afterwards. That just makes me really happy because there's a lot of things that I kind of want to learn how to do uh, here at the end of my life, but I keep on thinking, no, it's too late for that. But if you started doing that, uh, not, if you hadn't been, it looks like you've been doing that since you were a kid. Since maybe you like, I, I, I pictured you like sitting uh, lotus position on the beach uh, on the Big Island with the, the guitar in your lap. So to know that that's something that that is a newer thing. But yeah, definitely. Yeah, if you if you want to follow Kermit on on Facebook, go and check him out because he does those shows and they're just phenomenal and and beautiful. And if you haven't heard any Hawaiian slacky guitar, it's it's undeniably, unambiguously one of the most beautiful forms of music there is. If you think about like picturing your head, what Hawaiian music would be like, it, it's just it's, it dovetails so beautifully with like sunshine, palm trees, and lapping waves and beach, and it's just wonderful to to hear. Um, yeah, it's it's so it's basically like it's so it's these tunings because the Spanish left the guitars. They came over yeah. to teach the Hawaiians how to be cowboys. They left the guitars as gifts, and the Hawaiians didn't really know that e, that tuning. What is that E A J? That doesn't make sense. So they would literally just tune it how they wanted to. And so before radio kind of hit and music kind of you know was going to everybody, you could tell where a person was from, what island they were from by the tuning they played in. Oh wow! Because they would oh, develop so, their so own it's favorite like a tunings. Language. Almost. Yes, in yeah. a way, it was, yeah, and so, and so, you, you learn this thing, and, and I remember there was a there was a an older guy who lived in Portland, and occasionally he would have these get-togethers in Corvallis, 
And someone invited me one time while I was doing some gigs in Oregon. You know, they said, you play guitar, right? I said, uh, you know, it was just in hotel rooms at that point. I wasn't <laughs> performing at all. Right. And they said, you play slack key? I said, yeah. They said, oh, come to my house. And so I go to Corvallis, and there's like eight people with guitars. And this one old guy who's in kind of in the, you know, he's sort of like the guy who's the dude, right? And I was watching him play, and I was just going, wow, this is the music I grew up hearing. This is beautiful. And, and one of the things he... He was telling people because he because he would play a song and everybody would be would be playing and he would throw a, a solo to somebody he would point at you and you'd do a solo and and one of the things he said was he said use your thumb to play the bass that's the reason you do slack key that's the reason you do open tunings because the thumb plays a bass the other fingers play the melody so you want to sound like more and he said if you're not going to use your thumb to play the bass don't play slack key go to regular tuning right and. He hammered that into us. I mean, for, for like an hour and a half of jamming together, he just said, use your thumb. Use your, and so I would watch him. I would just stare at his thumb. And then I would just kept practicing that. And it's helped me even in regular tuning. When I play, play kick, picking songs in regular tuning, I still try and pay, play a bass line with my thumb. And, and that was when I really started to like, okay, there's a lot to learn here. Because up until then, I was just sort of playing along. I'd, I'd put a CD on and try and see if I could play the chords along with it. But when, when I watched him, I, I got to jam with him about three times before he passed. And, man, those are hugely valuable. Because it was like he told you why we play Slack Key, what it's about. And and like you said, it's a very it's a, when you hear it, you go, oh, that's Hawaiian music. That's the feeling yeah. of Hawaiian music. He was teaching us that. He was teaching us, like, don't just play the song. Know why you're playing it. Yeah. And so it helped me use my thumb to 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 play different things than my than my you know other fingers and i learned so much man and so yeah so it's been a great journey and i didn't think i'd ever be at this level but like i said i'm playing songs now that i would not have tried to play uh, years ago well you never know when those chance encounters that you have with people are going to be really formative for your creative process so that's that's pretty amazing but i just you know i just love i've always loved hawaiian music so to be able to tune into the streams and and check that out, especially when I knew that, you know, this is something Kermit's doing because the gigs just dried up because you can't be in front of people and people can't be yeah. clustered together as host elbows in a room watching a show and a live performance. So to be able to, uh, yeah, to watch and, and that's that. another thing is that, and that's another thing is the, is the desperate need for attention was still there. In so it's, there's that part too. <laughs> that's why we I get mean, on if a you're, podcast if and you're talk a performer, to each other for an hour every day. If yep, you're a performer, yep. if you're, if you're a, uh, uh, somebody who thrives on, on applause or laughter or, Whatever it is, that's that's the reason we do it. I mean, you know, the, the, the being able to take a couple bucks out of a gig or make a living at what you do that's creative is wonderful. But like I said, nobody gets into it for that. To be able to be up there in front of people and, yeah. and understand that they appreciate what you do and they're enjoying what you do, that's that's the that's. I mean, obviously we got to all pay our bills and eat, but that's the reason why any of us gets into it to begin with is that feeling. So. Like I said, if you want to uh, follow Kermit on Facebook, and you should, uh, you can find him, uh, his, his performer page, uh, it's K-E-R-M-E-T-A-P-I-O, and if you just Google that, you're going to find his website, you're going to find his socials, you're going to find his music, you're going to find his comedy. Do it! Just do it! And you got a couple of shows coming up. Um, if you're somebody who is in the Pacific Northwest, you can go check out Kermit. Hey, I'm in the Pacific Wine, Northwest. Uh, in... You are in, in Richland, and uh, that's the 27th of May. And then on the 29th, you're at uh, the Northwest Folklife, and that's for doing some, some music, and that's going to be in Seattle. Uh, anything else you got coming up that you want to talk about? 
no, I think I think that's it. I uh, oh, I'm 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 doing some dates with Brian Regan in June uh, down nice. in uh, Tennessee, and uh, yeah, really really excited about that. So uh, I think the second week of June, uh, I'm with Brian, which is which is I love doing those shows with him. Brian's a really funny guy too. I like his stuff. I remember seeing on your Facebook a little while ago that you were you were doing some shows with Brian, and he's obviously one of the uh, one of the best stand ups in the world. So you know, it's the fact that you guys are out there doing your thing together is, is, is pretty great. So yeah, find, find Kermit online. I mean, everything that you do is great and I'm a huge fan and I would be, even if you weren't like a great guy that I got a chance to spend some time (laughs) with. So, uh, I really very much appreciate that and, um, appreciate you coming on the show today to, uh, give us a, a peek into your process and, and, uh, how the sausage is made. And, and, uh, I just have been looking forward to having this conversation for a while and, and I'm super chuffed that we got a chance to talk to you about this stuff. Oh man, I I appreciate that. That's very nice of you to say, and I I, I can't thank you guys enough to for having me on. And I, I hope we covered the parts of stand up comedy you wanted, oh, to, yeah. totally I wanted mean, to cover. There's always more. I mean, there's always more we yeah. can talk about for sure. But uh, we can always come back and do another episode down the road if we need to. I mean, we, we like to have people on as recurring guests. So if you've had fun the first time, odds are good we'll probably be asking you to come back on again. So. Oh, you're screwed oh, now, you. Kermit. You said yes once, and now you're locked into this shit for life. No, <laughs> but, uh, uh, but I just uh, we, yeah, we really want to. We thank both you love stand up so much. Here. Yeah, absolutely. Stand up is is definitely one of the big things in my life, and and always has been, and I think it always will be. No matter how many times people say stand up is dying, it's not. You're right. It's 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 just gonna keep evolving and keep seeking its own level. And I mean. It, it's like you said it's interesting to kind of get an insider's perspective on that so uh well, well I, I agree comedy comedy is huge for me it's it, obviously a big part of my life it's my, been my only job for 30 years now and uh and so yeah i i agree i i just i i love it and i and i enjoy watching it evolve i've seen it go through so many iterations and so uh Anytime you want to talk about it, man. I love. My wife says me and my me and my comedian friends we make comedy sound boring because we <laughs> we talk about it in these very odd scientific terms and and uh, I never thought of that. But yeah, when you listen to us talk, get into the nuts and bolts. It's not a fun conversation. Well, that's like anything else. I have friends who are entertainers. I have friends who are circus performers. I have friends who are standard comedians. I have friends who are touring musicians. And you know, obviously, you're you're applying your trade in entertainment and bringing something to people that they want to check out from uh, from an audience standpoint, but. It's still a job. There's still a process to it. And some days, yeah. you know, you just get out of bed and you, oh, I got to go to work. I don't want to do that. <laughs> I mean, regardless of whether or not it's a wonderful thing, that's a, a great thing. It's, it's, this is what I've always wanted to do and people love it. It's still a job. So, you know, you're allowed to have those days where you just don't want to go to the office anymore. <laughs> Just, just we we are well aware we have fewer of those than most of America. We yeah. we have much fewer of those. I mean, because even when you go to a horrible bar gig where there's a fencer on the stage, you know you can still have a <laughs> little bit of fun if you play your cards right. Yeah. <laughs> well, Kermit, thank you so much for doing the show today. It was uh, awesome to have you on and um, just to, to 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 pull back the curtain on the on the magical stand up process, especially you know being as uh, you're just one of the funniest people out there working right now. So it's 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 a huge uh, huge level of gratitude from us. Absolutely. Thanks, you guys. I really appreciate it and uh, and continued success with the podcast going forward. Thank I'm you. glad to be on. Appreciate thank that. You. And uh, so we want to thank you for listening to another episode of the Fuel Your Fandom podcast. As always, if you want to reach out and get in touch with us, you have a couple of ways you can do that. You can hit us up on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash Fuel Your Fandom. You can send us a good old-fashioned email at fuelyourfandom at gmail.com. 
And if you want to send us an email at the backup email address, it's fyftalentbooking at gmail.com. And you can always find us online at Instagram at, at @fuelyourfandom, at Twitter at, at @fuel underscore your. And of course, we're always taking donations for the Fuel the Future charity program to get comics into the hands of underprivileged kids at Venmo, Cash App, and PayPal, and we're at at Fandom at all of those, and as always, you can find us wherever you get fine podcasts, on Stitcher, on Spotify, on Audible, all the great places you can uh, put us into your ear holes, and however you find us, we appreciate that you do. And one last thing I want to make sure to plug here, uh, Kermit, you said you've uh, you, you've got a, a, a comedy special on YouTube people should check out, and you've got a comedy album. Where can folks find the comedy album if they want to put, uh, put you in their ear holes? Well, the comedy album, I'm. <laughs> this is me being 54, it's still just a CD. <laughs> I will, I will. I'm going to do it as a download soon and uh, put it out that way. But uh, it's, I will do that. The comedy special. Uh, if you go to any dry bar thing and, and search my name, uh, you should be able to find it. Um, it's called uh, "There's No I in Self Esteem." And um, but it's, but if you just search my name in dry bar. And search my name in anything, like you said. For some reason, every time I sign up for a social media thing, Kermit Appeal is always available. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I'm pretty sure, as far as I can tell, you're the only have... Kermit Appeal that there is. So as long as you make sure to yeah, spell it right. I don't have to right. add a number. I don't have to do Kermit Appeal 8824. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, Just Kermit make sure you spell it right. Yes. Kermit with two E's. Kermit with two E's and a P-O is A-P-I-O, K-E-R-M-E-T-A-P-I-O. Uh, just Google this man and follow him everywhere you can. And if you can check out any of his music shows or any of his comedy shows, I cannot recommend them enough. And uh, thanks once again for being on the program, Kermit. We really appreciate it. I appreciate it. Thank you. All right. From Jim and I, we want to thank you for listening. And, of course, do please remember that everything is fandom and fandom is everything. Take care.